0: Carolyn Glick, welcome to another episode of the Carolyn Glick Midis News Hour. I'm joined by my host Gadi Tau. Hey, Gadi.
1: Hi, and Shnatovan, we won't have a we won't have a podcast before the end of the Jewish year. That's our last wow, one.
0: You're absolutely right. This okay. is uh, this is our last meeting before uh, the year five seven six two. Uh, begins.
1: Yeah, so, and, and uh, we and we, so we bless very... each other. So,
0: sorry, boy seven, seven two five seven four. I'm terrible. Five seven
1: seven two. And and we and we bless each other We're by 72. by. You're asking the wrong person. I can tell you what year is it to the death of Christ, uh, because we live in Tel Aviv. You know, it's a different thing. But we bless each other in here in Israel. That that. Uh, <laughs> Let the last year and its curses end, and let the new year and its blessings begin. And boy, was the last year full of curses. It was a horrible, horrible year. So let's hope that that this is the lowest, the lowest point. The Nadir do you say?
0: Nader. Nader. The Nader.
1: As in Rolf Nader. Yeah, okay.
0: He, yeah, he's definitely a Nader. <laughs> but... Uh... But Nader's with an I R, and Nader with an E R. Anyway, enough of the English lesson for today. Um, we're going to move on to geopolitics, if that's okay with you. So, um, yes, in this last uh, last episode of this very difficult year that we're just uh, completing, and hopefully moving into a new uh, and better year, um, we really are reaching a, a crunch point. Uh, as uh, all of you guys have watched, uh, the United States is now in the middle of, or has just suffered, the greatest defeat uh, in post-World War II U.S. history. I mean, uh, what's happening in in Kabul? What's happening in Afghanistan uh, following the America America's uh, humiliating uh, withdrawal from Afghanistan? With it, it, is it citizens. is it worse
1: than is it worse than Saigon '75? Mm-hmm. I think it is
0: because uh, the Vietnamese left the Americans alone after they left. Now, it's true. It was terrible for, I mean, it did, you can look at it many different ways, but you can say that the United States didn't suffer direct repercussions from their defeat in Vietnam the way that they're very likely to suffer direct repercussions from their defeat in Afghanistan. You already are seeing uh, much of the U.S. hardware uh, there were pictures today, I think it was of Humvees traveling on a road in Iran, so that uh, people were saying that the $90 billion worth of munitions that the United States abandoned in Afghanistan were in the hands of the Taliban and they would likely share them with China. Well, here they already are sharing them with Iran. Um, and we're talking about advanced platforms. And I saw that the Pentagon uh, spokesman, was a strange man, I <laughs> say say, uh, he was saying, um, Oh no! Uh, we disabled all of those weapons, as if the Chinese wouldn't be able to reverse engineer them. I mean, you know, the the, the Iranians, all of their uh, drone warfare is a result of President uh, Obama not uh, not uh, demanding or the return of the American drone that the Iranians uh, shot down and uh, or blowing it up in Iran once it was taken and the Iranians were able to reverse engineer that drone and most of the drone wars that we see being carried out by the likes of the Houthis and the Iranians themselves are the consequence of, uh, of that American drone that fell into their hands. And now you have an entire American army that's fallen into their hands in terms of the weapons that they left behind, not to mention the Afghan military that was abandoned there and they're all being shot in killing fields. But, um, but but Carla, how do you explain you know.
1: this? How do you explain the the amazing debacle? How do you explain why is there no one at the helm? I mean, I, I I don't think that that Joe Biden is really in control or is in full cognitive power. But there are people around them. Some of them are professionals. So is is that just a complete? blindness to reality or is there malice or how did it get so bad
0: well, um i think that there are a couple of explanations for that one is i mean you look at jake sullivan and you know he looks like he's 12 years old i wouldn't trust him you know if he was trying to sell me a, a new car I can't believe that he's national security advisor. He's just fundamentally not a serious person. And I have to say the same thing about Tony Blinken. I mean, he just doesn't strike me Mm -hmm. as somebody who has, uh, I mean, I would say he doesn't have the gravitas to perform the functions of Secretary of State, but you've had a lot of uh, secretaries of state who didn't necessarily uh, have gravitas, but it just seems to me that he just doesn't understand international affairs. I mean, basically, I, I wrote in my latest Newsweek article that's going to be coming out uh, on Thursday of this week that you know you have this weird, um, it's you you have this uh, fundamental assumption uh, that's shared by most of the people in the in the Biden administration, and we saw it here in Israel with uh, the Barack government in, in two thousand with the withdrawal from from Lebanon. Uh, we saw it in the uh, Sharon government with the withdrawal from, from Gaza as well. So we've had our share of this idiocy, but it's this idea that people are only fighting the United States because the United States is, has provoked them in some way that done something. And so the idea with the Taliban, and it's very clear mm-hmm. that this is sort of their their idea fix uh, with the, with the withdrawal that the Taliban can now be the United States' partner because the only reason that the Taliban was opposed to the United States was because the United States was in Afghanistan. And that was the thinking that uh, it made Israelis convinced that we could leave the security zone in southern Lebanon because uh, the idea that the likes of Yossi Belen, uh and, and his, and his uh, like-minded, brain-dead, radical leftists were selling to the public was that Hezbollah was just going to turn into a normal political party Uh, They were going to break with Iran, which, of course, completely controls them and owns them. They were going to do all of those things and just become, you know, liberal Democrats. Uh, The minute that Israel left South Lebanon, the only reason that they were fighting Israel was because we were there. If we left, they would go away. And of course, it's not at all what happened. They followed us into Israel because they exist in order to annihilate Israel. They're motivated not by where Israel is, but that Israel is. And uh, we didn't want to believe that. And of course, the same thing pertained uh, with Gaza and here in Afghanistan, what are they saying? They're saying, oh, we're not threatened uh, by having left them with $90 billion worth of U.S. weapons. And, and by the way, they also left them a lot of cold hard cash. You know, I sent out this, uh, I think we might have posted it or we were thinking about posting it last week, which was a video of these Taliban going into this U.S. base. And there were just stacks of what, like hundred dollar bills, there in like these huge piles, and that was, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars sitting right there in cash. And the Taliban were just fanning it out. Um, so some of it's cash, but you know they have advanced fighter craft, they have uh, they have combat aircraft, they have uh, they have jets, they have a vast array of helicopters, armored vehicles. hundreds of thousands i think of uh non night vision goggles which is incredibly dangerous um and just you know they've completely they've become the most powerful terror army in the world and so you know and the americans think it's okay because the taliban because we left afghanistan so the taliban can now be our friends and the taliban just like Israelis said uh you know um We can make a deal with the Hezbollah as soon as we leave Lebanon. It's not going to be a problem. So here, too, you're getting these incredibly uh, stupid and uh, just, I mean, crazy statements by Biden, by Blinken, and by uh, Sullivan that, oh, well, the UN is going to, you know, they're going to put out a really nasty resolution against the Taliban. They're going to say, you know, you're bad guys. We don't like you. You know, if they yeah, know I, I don't know if you go saw, the, school, there was... if they execute American citizens and, and one
1: of the envoys, one of the American envoys posted something on Twitter. I wouldn't be able to find it now on the fly, um, which said that the Taliban now has a great challenge. It's it's uh, it, it will it will have a chance to show if it will bring about the human potential of its men and women in its very diverse and rich culture. You see, these people are complete, you know, and I I studied in American University when it was not so bad as it is now. But this is a consequence of, of 40 years or so, maybe more, maybe since the 60s, that politics and ideology and the whole elite is educated on the idea that, Ideology and politics are therapy. The question is not what the world is. The question is how do I use my political stance to purify myself? So this, when this is extrapolated, and, and Barack Obama is the, is is the prime student of that because the world stage is a a, a place to is a psychodrama. It's the place to resolve your own feelings of guilt and 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 when this is projected on the world we get we get a a, a perverted um therapeutic version of the sweat crisis because in the sweat crisis it was eisenhower who is not sentimental but was very american in, it, in, in in the old sense in the sense that all problems are practical and we're going to solve them practically who completely misunderstood Nazi, right the idea was let's um let's uh, distance ourselves from the history of colonialism and if we're nice to uh, the radical Arabs, then they'll have a, they'll have skin in the game. They'll they'll reciprocate. They will not hate us anymore. And this is a complete inability to understand what radicalism is. They just don't take it seriously. They th- they think that the other party is exactly like them, and that it's all a game of who offended who, and who will be the victim, and who will play what. Part in this therapeutic drama. I'm sorry. This is the far background of what what we're seeing No, here I now. think
0: you're right. But I think that you know we can, we we can look at it sort of under under three kind of uh, we can sum or, sum this sum this whole thing up through three uh, headlines. The first one is Marxism, right? Because Marxism is sort of a post Christian a post Christian faith, right? And so the idea that you can purify yourself through uh politics that politics is really virtue signaling and it's about uh, um atoning for your sins and uh, and you know the with the with the um with the uh uh America's original sin being slavery and that America is part of this whole post-colonialist guilt that uh really you know belongs to the Europeans but America will be lumped into that and then the idea is that everything is our fault We're the only actors on the world stage and all of these third world primitive people, there are victims by virtue of the fact that they aren't us. And so that the way that you purge yourself of the sins of your past, of being strong, of being powerful is by self-abnegation and and by empowering your enemies. When people say that you make peace with your enemies, I mean, that's true up to a point. Obviously you don't need you know, America doesn't need to make peace with Canada, but it did need to make, It did need to make peace with Canada after the World War of 1812, when the British uh, kicked the Americans' butt, burned down Washington, D.C., and the Americans had to sign the Treaty of Ghent, which said, OK, never mind, we're not going to try to invade Canada again. So that, you know, that was a peace treaty made between enemies because the United States had been defeated. And that's the point, is that the Americans didn't defeat the Taliban. The Taliban defeated the Americans. And so the people who are leaving with their tail between their legs are not the Taliban. It's the United States. And the idea, basically, of this kind of post-Christian cultural Marxism that really is so emblematic of American political discourse today and, unfortunately, American foreign policy under the Biden and Obama administrations is... um, you know that that they think that the way to cleanse America of its past is actually to lose, and that's also sort of what's at root of the Iran nuclear deal, right? Because they're giving Iran the bomb in the JCPOA. It's an existential threat to Israel because Israel recognizes that Iran's uh, animosity towards Israel has nothing to do with uh, anything that Israel has done or anything that the United States, for that matter, has done. It's the fact that Iran is a theocratic, fanatical jihadist the- theocracy uh with uh, with uh, global imperialist aspirations and the first uh place that they want to annihilate is Israel. And so the Americans think, well, we're going to make peace with the Iranians by empowering them and changing the power balance of our ally Israel and Iran in a way that makes them more equal because Israel's bad because it's more powerful than Iran. So this is all it's already religious and in that sense it is sort of quintessentially American because they're Even Eisenhower's kind of practical thing where we can all get together also, you know, is based in a lot of ways in in kind of uh, in in a kind of religious gestalt of the mainline Protestant church at the turn of the 20th century. So, I mean, and and then finally, just the last so that so that it's Marxism, you know, in terms of being a faith, it's anti-Americanism, which is at the core of this faith, that it's America that has to change or its allies in Israel's case that have to be cut down to size in order to uh, repair the world, repair the damage of the colonialist era of Western power. And then the final thing that, you know, and it's also very common to the Israeli left is narcissism, right? This is, this is all very narcissistic. You see the world and you see yourself. You don't see anything but yourself. You see everything as it relates to you. The Taliban in this equation is not even an actor. And if you notice that when Biden was casting blame for what has happened in Afghanistan, for for his decision to abandon Americans to their fate, and America's Afghan allies, and by the way, their service dogs, which I think it's just, you know, as, as the owner of two dogs and a dog lover, I mean, I just think that it's so abominable. The whole thing is so disgusting, they left children behind, they left I, I mean, it just—it's an—it's—it's a—it's a moral blight on America's record that's not going to go away in coming generations. At any rate, I mean, everything about this is—is obscene. Is, is but Carolyn, and- you—you
1: didn't answer my question about how. How they reach this point? Is this stupidity? Is this cockiness? Is this malice? Is what what on earth? Because I'm I'm trying to think, you know, I'm not a friend of the Biden administration, but I'm trying to think in their shoes. Why the hell would they do it so badly? Why the hell would they leave the biometric information of the people who collaborated with them behind? Why the hell would they leave all this equipment? Couldn't they do it in a slower fashion? Couldn't they do it in a more gradual way? Couldn't they first take care of security? Couldn't they respond in the middle when they saw it was collapsing with returning some of their air power? What is this apocalypse? I don't know if you use this. Idiom in English. How would you translate that?
0: Yeah, well, it's like a total eclipse. It's like a, it's like a, it's like they're completely blind to reality. They're willfully blind in this case. And why are they this way? I mean, part of it could probably be explained by dementia. I mean, that this is irrational. That it didn't make any sense when they saw, you know, the this. Biden was, was has been trying to attack the the intelligence services, saying that, you know, nobody warned them that the Taliban was going to collapse. But then the intelligence services were helpful in, in leaking a, uh, the transcript of a conversation that Biden had in late January with the Afghan president, uh, Ghani, where he said that everybody feels like you're collapsing and we have to change the perception on the ground. So- that's because their whole and-
1: attention was focused on showing that the Hunter Biden laptop is Russian disinformation.
0: Well, I mean, I think that there's a lot of that, but only in the sense that the chair- when the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the Secretary of Defense say that climate change is the gravest strategic danger facing the United States, and uh, that and white supremacy, and they've actually been using the term purge to get rid of, uh, you know, the back, to, to perch the backbone of the U.S. military out of the service by, you know, saying that, you know, anybody who opposes uh, uh, the election results or is uh, identified with the uh, with the protests against the certification of the elections on January 6th and all kinds of other things that they have no place in the service and they've been doing all this critical race theory uh, indoctrination in the armed forces of the United States. So, When you're being led by people like this, then obviously they're not going to be paying much attention to what's happening on the ground in Afghanistan. And also, you know, again, we've had situations like this with our generals and the general staff in Israel, where they talk about, uh, we had in the second Lebanon war, where we were so ill led by the chief of staff, Don Khalus, um, and he said that uh, Israel needed to a stage, a scene of victory in the in the uh, village of Binch Binchebale, and he sent our our forces in there with no cover and with no real plan to take any kind of uh, areas of that uh, of that village in a in a coherent way, and it was a killing field. He just sent them in there to die because he thought that you can just imagine a victory. You could just you know put something on camera. You could stage it like it it it's just it's just a show. And that'll be enough. And that's not enough. If you want to actually, when you actually have to defeat your enemies, you can't have, there's no picture of victory. You don't have somebody planting the flag in Iwo Jima without actually conquering Iwo Jima. You had tens of thousands of U.S. soldiers and Marines who were killed in the Pacific before they, nope, they weren't doing it in order to take a picture of themselves planting the flag at Iwo Jima. They were doing it to defeat Imperial Japan. And somehow or another, People have fallen so in love with imagery of victory that they forget what, what was necessary in order to reach that point in the real world. And so in the United States, you have a reflection of that in uh, Mark Milley and the chairman of the G- Joint Chiefs of Staff and Lloyd Austin and, and another four-star general, you know, who's the Secretary of Defense. They have these ideas that are totally di- re- uh, divorced from reality. So I think in part, you know, maybe Joe Biden's very clear Dementia. I mean, he he is clearly not in in in. Uh, he does not he does not uh, uh, control anything. He he can't pay attention to things. Every, you know, all of his speeches but, but are on but teleprompters. But does he does he
1: make the decisions now? This speech. This speech was. I, I I mean, for the first it's time, the one from
0: last. All of yeah. them were terrible. But, all but, of them have been terrible.
1: But but the last one was was I I I, I you know he doesn't write his speeches. Come on, um, someone there thinks they're in control, and obviously, what I I read Ayan Chirsi Ali. I like to read her. She she wrote something for unheard, and she said, you know, this is the consequence of getting used to. Uh, running your shop without any criticism whatever. The the press just said amen. This Jean Saki is just she it's a it's a it's an unbelievable joke. They think they can just paper everything over with, with like bland phrases. And they've been for for quite a while now running their shop without any criticism and so they they felt there were no consequences it's like the the wall the press instead of uh, in instead of describing the world has erected a wall uh, through which we cannot see the world I'm, i've been saying this i don't know if you saw on twitter for a while now that the real story everywhere Is the press? Because if it was not for the press, we we would not have this ridiculous government. Because these people would have been shamed out of office by a realistic, normal press. And we have the same thing. The press has been building up a marionette who is biden biden is is one of the greatest failures in the history of american politics there was not one foreign policy decision in his 40 years in washington that he was right about he is ridiculous and he and and his i don't his son is 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 a permanent security hazard his family was in bed with china what not and and the press and the press has been singing russian collusion about trump And so
0: but I think that I think you're right. But again, I think that, you know, uh, I mean, nobody is gonna nobody, you know, take second place. I take I take second place to nobody, including you, Dr. Tao, in, you know, my criticism. I'm shocked. I don't. But but, uh, but I have to say that, you know, you also have to blame the policymakers. I mean, they're the ones who wanted this job. And you're right. They, you know, it was it was stunning, and they all they do is spin. I mean, first of all, there was a, a stunning political article by their world by their White House correspondent who said that the who wrote that the, it was like early last week she she wrote that the Biden administration is angry because it's not getting its props from the press on the great uh, on the great uh, uh, achievements that they've been making in the withdrawal from Afghanistan. I mean, they literally thought that they should be getting uh, uh, praise for all the people that they were bringing out. And, um, I mean, it was a lie on every level, right? Because they were blocking people from getting in. They blocked American citizens from getting in. They They gave the Taliban the ability to block U.S. citizens, to block Afghans who were supposed to be getting out from getting to the airport in the first place. And the idea that they would surrender perimeter security of the airport, the approaches to the airport to that their enemies who now they're pretending apropos of absolutely nothing with no proof with no evidence that they're now their partners is insane i mean obviously there would have been there wouldn't have been americans left behind if the united states had controlled the roads to the airport they would have all been able to leave as would you know, a very much, a very large number of Afghans who were supposed to leave. And probably a lot of the Taliban and Al-Qaeda and ISIS terrorists who found their way out of the country would have been blocked if the Americans had been doing the betting and if they were in charge of the roadblocks. But they surrendered that to the Taliban while claiming that the Taliban were their allies and their partners. But the thing is, is that- So they didn't see it they, coming? They didn't no, see it coming? Oh, uh, uh, well, let me just make one point. All they're doing is spinning the idea that you can liken what they're doing to the Berlin airlift is insane, right? And yet they continue to repeat these lies over and over and over again, the biggest airlift in history, but they were the reason that there had to be an airlift. It was all their fault. And they did it poorly. I mean, you know, my friend, uh, Jay Dyer, Jen Dyer, who also tweets, uh, she's she's a former naval uh, intelligence analyst. She's brilliant. And she wrote, You know, Biden was saying there were 200 Americans left behind. She said, that's one airplane. One airplane. You see, it's 200. One airplane. And they left a day before the end of the deadline. So if they had actually been organized, if this had been a successful airlift, like the Berlin Airlift Mm was, then they wouldn't have been left behind. So it's all a lie. And and you look at it and you just say, why did they do it? Why did they? I don't know. Did they want to have a debacle? You know, this is already in the realm of conspiracy theory, maybe. But you know, I always said with with Obama, when people were asking me, you know, is he an anti Semite, or you know, or is it just that his 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 aspirations are are antithetical to Israel's national interests and to the civil rights of Jews?" And I would say it doesn't matter. I can't. It's. I mean. I can say, you know, my gut feeling is that Barack Obama hates, hates Jews. I mean, he likes liberal Jews, but he hates, he hates, he hates Jews. He hates Israeli Jews, he hates religious Jews and so on and so forth. But who cares if I'm right or wrong? It's irrelevant. The point is that if you're a policymaker, your policy has practical implications. So did, did, did Biden and and his crew You know, were they sitting in dark rooms, smoking their cigars and twirling their mustaches and trying to figure out how to make the United States suffer the gravest shame and the biggest strategic catastrophe in post-war history to lose the trust of all of its allies and to reap the scorn of all of their enemies whom they empower? You know, I doubt it, but... If they did or if they didn't, we got to this result. And I don't think that if they had been planning to do this in, to cause maximum harm against the United States, that they would have done anything differently from what actually happened.
1: Yeah, no, but, it, but, it's, but it's crucial to understanding where this is going. <clears throat> and, and clearly this is going to to an Iran deal. And the question is, are they now... Be will there be some modesty? Did are they no. are they internalizing this the size of the the the, the well, magnitude of their of of their collapse? I think there would have been an opportunity here if Israel and some of our friends and some of the American patriots um in 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 the Republican Party would have leveraged this to say. No, it's this is not the right time to empower the, the, a, a, another terrorist state, which is which is clearly what they're doing. And 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 then this is why I'm asking because I'm asking myself what are they thinking? Are they still hanging on to the ridiculous philosophy of Obama that if you if you give Iran a stake in the game, it will be it would be tamed, it would become responsible. And are they still thinking this after their collapse in the Taliban or are they just, you know, an automatic pilot? This is their this is their northern star, this this abominable deal that's gonna grant Iran um, so nuclear I weapons. So I think, you
0: know, I think that, um, you know, I, and this is basically the point of my Newsweek articles that they're not interested in learning any of their lessons. I mean B- Biden was very clear about that in his speech on uh, Monday night because he said I did everything right. This was the mo- this was a triumph. This is an American triumph. Who was at fault? Who caused all the problems? The Afghan army? The American citizens who uh didn't make it to the airport in time? Tough luck, it's their fault. And of course Donald Trump. He Did, like did you see Did them- you see that
1: tweet by 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 Ben Shapiro? He said he, he, he imitated Biden and said it was a success, and it was Trump's fault.
0: Yes, I mean, but that he, but he didn't just blame Trump. Trump were used to blame the Americans who he abandoned to their fate under the Taliban. He, I mean, I'm surprised he didn't blame the dogs for you know not getting out of their not getting out of their cages that they were caged in, waiting to get on the airplane, and just uh, and just jumping into the airplanes on their own. I mean, he blamed everybody except himself because he was perfect. So I think that his behavior you know, is, is very indicative of the fact that these people are completely incapable of learning. And moreover, uh, Tony Blinken and Biden both said what? They said, oh, well, um, we're going to continue to fund Afghanistan. They, they both highlighted the fact that the United States is going to give uh, humanitarian aid to the Taliban. I thought that that was also remarkable, so no, they're not going to learn anything, and I don't think that American allies can do anything about it, except uh, hold them in scorn and ill-repute and not listen to them and defy them, because you know that, that the only way that they'll learn is if they start if they start uh, getting the cold shoulder from Israel, from Britain, from France, from Germany, which by the way, Britain, France and Germany are already giving them, and I mean I mean that's, that's a fact. Uh, and uh, the British, the British Parliament uh, gave a no confidence vote to Biden. I mean, you know that's incredible. And uh, and you have people like Colonel Richard Kemp, the former commander of British forces in NATO, saying that he should be court-martialed as commander in chief. And and I think that all of these people, by the way, are right. But you know, we only have about uh, ten minutes, or maybe we have more time. We have a, we have more than that. We have twenty five yeah. minutes left of the show. But I I do also want to bring it to Israel because I mean. The thing that I thought was most telling was that in the midst of all of this, I mean, Naftali Bennett, our our uh, prime minister, who enjoys the support of five percent of the Israeli public, which is which is even lower mm-hmm. than Biden, you know, um, he comes to Washington, he demands to see the president in the middle of this great catastrophe, and he and he met he met with. Uh, the great Sullivan. He met with uh, Tony Blinken. He met with the great Lloyd Austin. And then finally, a day late, he met with uh, Biden in the White House. And he said uh, after the meeting that he had achieved everything that he set out to accomplish in, in Washington, D.C. And uh, put putting aside Naftali's uh, spin on this, you know, according to a readout of the conversation that Biden had with, with Bennett, uh, that was given by Barbara Leaf, who's the uh, point person at the National Security Council for Israel. She's also you know, a radical leftist who supports p- peace now, but then so is everybody else in this administration, so why not? But she um, she said that, uh, you know, Naftali said that he and Biden didn't talk about the Palestinians at all, but they just talked about Iran. It works out that that was another Naftali lie that they that the Americans uh, didn't wouldn't let go of the Palestinian issue that they made some very clear demands on Israel and we saw that Israel abided by all of the demands because everything that the Americans were demanding was happening on the ground in Israel while in part while Naftali was in mid air on his way back home but what were those things that the Americans first of all they demand they're completely obsessed with Jerusalem which is, is which is amazing and it's still not clear where where this government is going to fall on this but Biden demanded that Israel allow the opening of the U.S. consulate to the Palestinians in Israel's capital city. Um, he he's and and this is just very briefly. This is unprecedented that uh, that any government, allied enemy, whatever, would say to a host government, "We demand that you allow us to open a diplomatic legation to another political entity in your capital city where we have an embassy." this this I mean people say, well, there was a consulate, yeah, but there was a consulate that was founded in eighteen forty four so that you know it existed in nineteen forty eight when israel was was established, and Israel had to accept the u s consulate But when the American embassy was moved to Jerusalem in two thousand and eighteen, there was no reason to have a consulate there anymore because the embassy handled all the consulate affairs as well, and so they closed it once you close it, the only way you can open it again is for the host country to approve it. So Israel has to approve a U.S. consulate in in Jerusalem for the PLO before the Americans can open it under international law. So either they're not going to ask for Israeli uh, approval, which would be a hostile act, or they will. And if the government gives it, then, you know, uh, then then the government here is even worse than than we thought. But it looks like it may because it's not saying what it's going to do yet. The other thing that they said is, you know, did you know that the buildings in Sheikh Jarrah, a Sadiq neighborhood in East Jerusalem are owned by American Jews?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, they're not owned by Israeli Jews. They're owned by American Jews. So these are homes that have had Arab squatters in them since the time of the Jordanian occupation of East Jer- Jerusalem, and since 1971, the Jewish owners of these homes, and this was b- bought by Jews. Uh, in the late 19th century. So this has been Jewish property from time of immemorial. And when J- Israel re- restored its sovereignty to Eastern Jerusalem, the Jewish owners tried to get back their property. And they've had these Arab squatters in there since instance. So the Americans are saying, we do not want you to grant the property rights to the owners of these homes, that the squatters must be allowed to remain in place. So the American government is saying to the Israeli government, you must deny the property rights to American citizens who are Jews in Jerusalem, in your country, not in our country, because they're Jewish. So it's both anti-American, they're denying the property rights of American citizens, and it's of course anti-Semitic because the reason that they're doing it is because these specific American citizens are also Jewish. So that's the other thing that they're demanding of the government. It's not clear what Naftali said. They want the, the, the government. To continue to restore funding to the Palestinian Authority, despite the fact that doing so is against American law and against Israeli law, because both countries passed laws that barred it, barred them both from transferring financial, from transferring money to the Palestinian Authority, so long as the Palestinian Authority continues to pay the salaries of terrorists. The Palestinian so, Authority so, does, and the Americans are demanding that Israel give them money, and so Israel But lives. this is
1: this is a golden opportunity, Carolyn. To for for you i think to explain clearly because this is this you, you do this repeatedly in your writing the connection between afghanistan the realignment and the iran deal and the palestinian um and the the american view of the peace process between israelis and palestinians because this is all part of the same tapestry
0: well i mean i think again if you're if you're talking about this idea of uh, expiating sin right from from the west uh and and uh get and but- through uh self abnegation and surrender to the third world who you consider to be your victim by virtue of the fact that they are not you um then you know the the uh the Palestinians are sort of the um archetype of the third world victim that you're supposed to appease because you know the i mean i think uh, Lee Smith actually wrote a beautiful article about it called the, the Dream Palace of the Americans in Tablet this past week. And, you know, and and uh, I mean, he he's not tilling new soil, but, you know, it just it, it was a beautiful piece of writing. So I, I would uh, I would urge everybody to just pick it up and read it because it it was an enjoyable read. But, you know, he recalled the fact that the Palestinians were the creation of the KGB. Arafat was a KGB agent and the idea behind it and even before the PLO started and the the KGB came out when they were still the NKVD, they came up with this idea after the Holocaust to transpose anti-Semitism and anti- into anti-Zionism. So Slansky in the in the Slansky trials of the uh of the Hungarian communists who were Jews was a Zionist. You know, he's a communist. He was the head of the Communist Party who was a Jew, but they turned him into a Zionist because they couldn't call him a dirty Jew, so they called him a you know, a, a, a dirty Zionist. Um, and the, Zio, the doc- as they
1: call him, as the now, the, the radical left the, does it now, right, in, in American the, universities, yeah, yeah,
0: right. That's that's the updated language. But the doctors, the doctors' plot that, that Stalin had against Soviet Jews, also they were Zionists. They were accused of being Zionists. So this was already as far back as 1949 it began. But the basic idea behind the, the PLO was that um, if it, it, the the Soviets believed it rightly. That, you know, after the Holocaust, the West had pledged to never, to never uh, abandon the Jews again, to never, to never uh, turn on the Jews as they had in the Holocaust. And the Soviets said that if they could convince the West to embrace hatred of Jews again in the form of anti-Zionism, then the West would no longer be able to make a coherent moral argument for itself. And so... You know the, the 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 reason why the Palestinians were created because they were never there was never a nation called the Palestinians. They have no they have no shared past. They have no history. They have no culture that's uniquely theirs except being on the front line of the war against Israel. Their their entire national identity is like a negative image of the Zionist movement. So it was so, always. So so I'll recommend another book at
1: this as a footnote to what you're saying. It's the a book. By the way, they're leftists, both of them. Um, called the War of Return, it's it's been published in America too. It's by uh, Adi Schwartz and Einat Vilf. Einat was, is a former uh, member of Knesset in the Labor Party. But what they're saying is that the center of of the, the, the Palestinians are not going to give up the what they call the right of return. That is, the the return of the descendants of the refugees to Israel proper, because this is the heart of their ethos. The heart of their ethos is. A, this, the destruction of the Jewish state. Um, and so there's no, there's no middle ground between the two but narratives. But I'll add also, if you don't mind, a, a, a more practical political uh, connection between the two sides of the policy before Afghanistan, uh, mm-hmm. Iran on the one hand and the Palestinians on the other, is that under Netanyahu and Trump, Iran was being cornered. And the way to corner Iran was to create the Abraham Accords. It's to create the Sunni alliances with states who realized that Iran is the real threat, not Israel. And that Israel is actually one of the most powerful allies they can have in the war on Iran. And the the way the Obama administration tried to prevent that was by saying there will be no peace before you solve the Palestinian issue, and so what Biden is doing now is taking apart the alliance that 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 pushed Iran into a corner. He, so he has to take apart the Abraham Accords, and he has to um, uh, reinstall the Palestinian veto in order to 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 re fray to fray to take apart. Um, the the strategic partnership of Saudi Arabia, the United Emirates, um, Israel, and possibly other other Sunni let countries. Just,
0: let me let me actually just put your practical thing into the framework of the ideological concept of the political warfare behind the Palestinians. And Th-
1: that's switching our roles, Caroline.
0: Right, but the con- the sorry but whatever anything goes today don't you know uh, but the 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 framework the the concept of an Abraham Accord what is precisely the response uh, to uh, the fake Palestinian nationalism narrative right the, which is just a lie that there was a an ancient, People here—they went back to the Canaanites and the cavemen and the Neanderthals—and you know you, they were all Palestinians, right? And, and I mean, this is a complete lie. But the the antidote to that is the Abraham Accords because the Abraham Accords say no—the um, Jews are are the children of Abraham and uh, and Isaac and Jacob, and the Arabs are the children of Abraham and Ibrahim and we can come together as the peoples, as the indigenous peoples, the natives of this region. That is the whole concept behind the Abraham Accords. And that is why the Biden administration has refused under all circumstances to call them by their name. Because if they call them by their name, then they're acknowledging that Israel has a right to exist, that the Jews are the indigenous people of the land of Israel, and that the entire edifice of Israeli Israeli colonialism, of the Zio capitalist, you know, white supremacist apartheid that they claim that Israel is uh, the manifestation of, that all of that is a complete and utter lie, and they can't do that. And that's that is really what stands behind their almost crazed, lunatic obsession with never calling the peace treaties by their actual name, the Abraham Accords. So I think that that's also just a, a very key aspect of it.
1: That's and, brilliant.
0: You know, the whole thing, yeah. The Abra- the concept, the name Abraham Accord is brilliant. It was it was David David Friedman's idea, and. And it was correct, and and it works, and that's why everybody immediately tied into it because it's just true, and you know the truth is it like a great, it's a great product to sell. It's really easy to sell it. People like it, you know, and so the that that's that's the that's just the thing. But I but you know so I, the concept of narcissism though uh, as a as a central point of American foreign policy and also the Israeli left to a very large degree, I think is also uh, understated and it's important to give it more prominence because they really do believe that America can just walk away from a war and say it's over, even though the United States didn't start the war, right? America didn't attack anybody on 9-11. The United States Left the Taliban alone until the until the the Al Qaeda terrorists that that uh, they had harbored since 1995 when the Sudanese threw them out uh, decided that they were going to use their bases in Afghanistan to plan and to organize for the uh, the 9/11 attacks and so Biden said, "Oh, well, I'm president when the 9/11 attacks uh, turn 20. Uh, so what I'm going to do." is I'm going to uh, wait until 9/11/21 and then on that day I'm going to stand in front of the freedom towers or in front of the pentagon at the at the 9/11 memorial and I'm going to declare the war officially over which is why the original date for the departure of the US forces from Afghanistan was supposed to be September 11th there's nothing more insane than that because the whole concept I get to decide when a war that I didn't start ends When I didn't defeat my enemy, the Taliban is is well, you know, well uh, placed to restore its complete control over Afghanistan if I ever leave. So these concepts are at the root of everything. They're also at the root of the whole concept of a two-state solution. Israel didn't start the Arab war against it. It certainly didn't start the Palestinian national movement, except to the extent that the Palestinian movement, national movement, was a creation of it was a reaction. Arab,
1: yeah, and a, and a reaction to Zionism. To, uh, to by extent.
0: genocidal Arab Nazis, right? Who wanted to to expand the Holocaust to the Jewish community in the land of Israel and pre-state Israel. So you know Israel didn't didn't tell anybody to go out and attack it. It came in peace. It never it never uh the The Zionist pioneers who who began settling you know the land you know ahead of the creation of uh, the state of Israel in forty eight they didn't come here as an antithesis to the Arabs they didn't come here out of spite they didn't come here to civilize the natives you know these weren't British colonialists, these weren't French colonialists, these were Jews going to the land of Israel to restore their national sovereignty after eighteen hundred years, so there was no negative ethos to Zionism the the negative ethos was entirely the response to zionism by the arabs and then later you know it sort of uh polarized into to the palestinians as a terrorist uh, nationalist movement um and so you know th- this concept that israel oh we can just end it we can end the war that hezbollah started against us because they want to annihilate just by leaving lebanon we can we can make the hamas no longer hate us or the plo like us by giving them Gaza lock, stock, and barrel. This is all lunatic narcissism. And and at the heart of the whole concept of the Palestinian uh, conflict with Israel is this idea that all of these things that have happened in the Middle East, everything, all of the terrorism, all of the wars, it's all the Jews' fault. Why is it the Jews' fault? Because we won't quit the land of Israel. We won't leave Judea and Samaria. We won't leave Jerusalem. You know, and and at the end of the day, if we leave those areas and we'll leave Tel Aviv as well, because we can't we can't defend Tel Aviv without them. So so it's all Israel's fault. Why? Because Israel exists. And if Israel doesn't stop existing or if it isn't waking up in the morning, having lunch in the afternoon, going to bed at nighttime, apologizing for its existence and giving more and more of its land away to people sworn to its destruction, then it's evil. It's all the same concept.
1: Uh um, So the uh, the the anti-Semitic element that the Palestinians still represent um, is this also, in your opinion, an animating uh, force behind the Biden administration? I mean, I'm not. Is it? I know Elan Omar. We understand Rashida Talib. We understand these. We we even understand the auto anti-Semitic. Jewish, so-called uh, leftist or peaceniks, um, but is this now a central feature of the Biden administration too?
0: It is, but I mean there are a lot of different manifestations of of Jew hatred that are that are that are taking form in the United States today. I mean, I'll just give you an example among American Jews, like Dan Shapiro, who Biden just appointed to be Israel's babysitter on everything having to do with Iran. Um, you know, he 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 gave a statement where he said that it was racist to cast dispersions on Mahir Bittar, who who said that who who is a BDS supporter. And now he's also in charge of all intelligence traffic in the U.S. government because he's the senior director for intelligence in the National Security Council. I think people what you know might wonder what he did with all the intelligence reports, saying that the Taliban was going to rapidly take over the country. Uh, of you know uh, when the United States left, and that uh, that the Afghan government and the Afghan army wasn't going to be able to withstand the Taliban onslaught in the absence of close air support and the absence of American uh, contractors uh, 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 directing air traffic from Bagram Air Base, et cetera, et cetera. So I think. You know, that's also important to you know, but Dan, Dan Shapiro and a lot of the Tikkun Olam reform Jews who are, you know, in very prominent positions in, this, in, in the Biden administration have, you know, suffer from a form of anti-Semitism because, as they see it, to be a Jew means to be a leftist Democrat. And that's how they define their faith. And so it's very similar to the, you know, expiation of sin through uh, through through self-abnegation on the global level and empowering your enemies. So here, you know, Israel, which is a much more, which is a manifestation of authentic traditional Judaism, which is based on the three pillars of the of the Torah, the land of Israel and the people of Israel, then their Judaism cannot be successful if Israel is successful. So I think that a large part of their identity as American Jews ends up being exp- expressed through Hostility towards Israel, because, again, if Israel is the authentic uh, is, is the authentic representation of the Jewish people, which, of course, it is, then they're an inauthentic representation of that people or of that faith. And therefore, they feel themselves to be in a state of existential uh, crisis or or conflict with the state of Israel as as reinvented Jews or as as Jews were whose Judaism is fully manifested in their political faith in liberalism and progressivism. So that's one form. And obviously you have the Islamist anti-Semites like Mahir Bitan and Hadi Amar and others who have spoken on behalf of Hamas, who have supported BDS, Rima Dodin in the White House. There are a whole lot of them in, in the Biden administration, very key positions at the State Department, at the Justice Department, in the White House and the National Security Council. Um, so you know, yeah, you see those sort of Ilhan Omar type of anti-Semites as well represented in the in, in the West Wing. And then finally, you have the progressives in the in the administration. And here too, I mean, progressivism really is cultural Marxism, and it's very anti-American. And the concept that America and Israel are kind of uh Kindred spirits on the global stage that Israel is just sort of a, a mini-me of America in terms of its national character, as it's seen by both progressives and, by the way, by nationalists, is, is is it turns it into an object of hatred and derision among progressives. So they're allied with Islamists and they're allied with, you know, Tikkun Olam Jews, and I think that all of them are well represented in this government. Yeah.
1: So now we have um, a, a, a government here that is, uh, I don't know how to, I don't want to use too strong a term, but has agreed basically to subordinate ourselves under the language of friendship and cooperation and let's call each other, not, not, not fight or sling mud through the media and all that, which basically means that Israel would just bow down to to the demands um of an american regime which is i don't know if we, if hostile is the word but at least unsympathetic to to israel's interest in, uh, and operates against israel or or right or, or defines its own interest in in contrast to to ours um so last word about the because we said we'll talk about it about what this would mean for Judea and Samaria, and and for the so-called peace process.
0: So right now, what we're seeing on the ground, and I wrote about this in my in my column for Israel Hayom, which is coming out on Friday. Um, I I spent some time on Monday going around and looking at all these threatened Jewish communities in Judea, in, in Gush Etzian, which is where I live, um, which is in the consensus not only of the entire country but on the left. You, know, you had leftist leaders like Zvi Livni and Ehud Barak and Erud Omert, who all said that the large settlement blocks like, you know, first and foremost, Gush would be left as part of sovereign Israel in many peace settlement. But you see that the government now is allowing massive illegal building by the Palestinians all over Gush Etzion. And one of the places where you're going to, you're about to have building approved for the Palestinians in Gush Etzion is inside of, of the settlement of Alon Shfut and Rosh Surim. It's this little, uh it's this little uh cluster of uh, of Palestinian Arab dwellings that were just supposed to be seasonal homes for agricultural workers who who own um grape orchard grape vineyards um next to Alon Shvut um but they suddenly uh, it hasn't you know grown at all over the past many many years and suddenly uh they asked for 50 new housing units in it and they're they're about to get them approved uh, by the civil administration. And when that happens, they're going to take over uh, this walking path that connects all of the different villages in Bujhatzion one to the other. So that basically, and it's all funded by France. They've they've invested 1.25 million euros in in this planning scheme for the Palestinians inside of Alon Shvut, and the idea is to turn them all from a flourishing block of communities that. You know, you can walk from one to the other on Shabbat when people don't drive. Uh, you're they're going to be cut off from one another, and um, and this is the Bennett government who's allowing it, and they're allowing it in part because uh, of American pressure, and in part because they're dominated by radical leftists. So, you know, this is what's happening here. But I'll just end on a on a on a hopeful note, because I think I I don't really know what's going to happen in the United States. Um, you know i i don't know whether it's just the elites that are going to fall and collapse and american society is going to rise up like you know people like lee smith again uh, is uh, is uh, is of uh, the opinion will happen or or you're going to get something not not as uh, not as not, not such a rosy scenario unfolding in the united states but here in israel i'm i the more i think about it the more i think that if the if the Bennett government really does start moving in in uh in a very existentially dangerous direction, whether it's vis-a-vis Iran or the Palestinians, that the government will 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 fall. I mean, and so either it's gonna actually have to do the things necessary to secure Israel's survival, not only of the Iranian nuclear threat, but of the Biden administration at this point. But I think that uh, either they're going to do that, <clears throat> or uh, or they'll fall, and uh, the right willing under Netanyahu will be able to form a new government. I, I really, because the the Israeli people are just too uh, psychologically healthy still uh, to to abide by um, to abide by uh, government that places uh, Israel in in uh, in existential peril. So I think. You know, on that level, I'm very worried, but I'm also kind of assured because I I do have faith in, in the public, and, and I think that it just we we won't allow it to happen.
1: As a happy note, I can tell you it's medium happy, it's sub jolly, um. But 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 this is we're we're nearing the time that we're gonna put a we're we're gonna to dip. To dip an apple in honey, oh yes, uh, we have
0: to you're right. we have to end this on a happy note. I really do believe it is... oh my goodness, you know what just happened. One no. of my cooking videos for um, for <laughs> for it, it, that was up on my so, that was up on my that was up on my computer. Uh, it, it, <laughs> it's it's uh, Mivashlimim Jackie. Jackie is this great uh, Moroccan chef, so, and, and I was so just now, going I was just going over how to make a Moroccan uh, uh, rosh hashanah uh, dish called pastilla. So at any rate, so yeah, so you all just got to hear so a little it's, bit it's, of Jackie.
1: It, that, that's it, And people don't know that your microphone is actually on a cookbook now. Yes, because, it is. <laughs> because before this podcast started, that's what we were discussing, yeah. the Rosh Hashanah yes, dinner. It's true. Because, so, because, it, because as you know, all Jewish holidays are about, they tried to kill us, we escaped, now let's eat.
0: Right, and as a Jewish mother, you see... It all actually. Everybody says the men have to go to synagogue. They have to. I mean, we go to synagogue too. But that all the mitzvot are on the men. But that's not true because the entire holiday and every Shabbat is actually, unless you're in a progressive household, which I most certainly am a not, then all of the, all of the cooking falls on the mom. So between writing about the strategic collapse of the U.S. of A., I'm also perusing. The recipes and kosher by design for the holidays <laughs> so you know <laughs> now so that's wish- a happy
1: note to end that's on, right Charlie. so we
0: should all wish you uh, Chag Semer, Shana Tova. uh and we should all be written in the book of life and uh this should be a good year and godspeed to everybody in afghanistan who's stuck there and uh, may we all know better and healthier and happier times in 5782 Shana Tova Shana Tova Gadi see Bye- you next year and be sure to subscribe to the Carolyn Blake Middle East News <laughs> Hour in the new year we're going to give you a discount if you subscribe <laughs> today it'll be free of charge
1: <laughs> and even 10% less
0: it'll be 10% less than 0
1: Shalom Vitada.
0: See you, Caroline. Shana
1: Shana Tova. Bye-bye. Shana Tova.